Hey everybody, it's officially draft season, and we here at Upside Swings couldn't do what we do without Global Shop Solutions ERP software. Simplify your manufacturing by scheduling a demo at globalshopsolutions.com. Thanks again for listening. Hello everybody, and welcome back to the Upside Swings to be a draft podcast, the podcast of the highest ceiling. I'm your host, Bryce Hendricks, joined always by the great Stone Hansen and the wonderful Cooper Klein, the next in our series of guests, someone we wanted to bring on forever, and it's just, it, for some reason, it, it just never worked out, and then... We found out he was a Brooklyn Nets fan and it's like, you know, the light from heaven came down and, and we finally knew it was time. It was time to bring on the great Matt Powers at Draft Powell. Um, Matt is one of the more, I would say, creative guys in the draft space. Someone who I was first exposed to from our mutual friend Chuck at Chucking Darts fame. Um, and ever since I've just been hooked on all the stuff he does, ever all the tweets and, and now his work at Switch Theory. Matt, you're one of the best. We can't thank you enough for taking the time out. How are you doing? Yeah, happy to be here. I'm a big fan of you guys as well. Um, we do a lot of like chatting about hoops on, you know, the timeline back and forth for a couple of, a year and a half now or so. So happy to have like finally talk hoops on the pod with you guys. Great, man. Um, we've had, you know, some awesome guests uh today, and I'm excited to keep keep that going. So uh yeah, can't be doing much better, honestly. Yeah, doing well. Praying my dog doesn't have another sleeping seizure during the recording of this one that, that puts me out of commission. But uh, really excited to talk about the team whose you know future my team owns. So uh, this will this will be a fun one. Yeah, uh, let's just dive into it because the Nets are at such a weird place, and recapping their season last year feels a bit like a fever dream. Um, in, in the off season, there was both Kyrie and Katie drama. Katie requests a trade. Joe Sy and, um, uh, Sean Marks batten down the hatches, have multiple meetings with Katie that are detailed in weirdly excruciating, like, like perspective from Woj and Shams, each of them clearly having like different dudes feeding them information. So clearly having like different guys who they're like different ways to try to spin it. And and eventually it ends with KD being like, okay, I'm going to come back. Kyrie's back. Season starts. We think, okay, everyone's on their best behavior. This team looks like a potential championship team. And then, you know, Kyrie does some, some horrible stuff. And then he wants out. And then KD wants out. And they both get traded at the deadline. And we're like, okay, now is this team bad? And then all of a sudden, McCall Bridges averages like 24 points per game on like 60% true shooting, taking a ton of mid-range pull-ups. It's just one of the most like, They've had one of the most fascinating seasons of any like basketball team I've ever watched. Matt, what were your kind of emotions and thoughts like as the season went on? And what's your what's your general feeling for where the organization is going? I so I used to live like right around the block from Brooklyn, so or from the, the Brooklyn Nets Arena. So um went to a lot of games and it was kind of like exciting to see them all go in. I was like trying to get my wife invested and she like immediately yeah James Harden's fun and then like that has now she will never go to game again after like the experience of the past year um but yeah it was a really wild uh season of course um I really curious to hear what you guys think about um where they go from here as there's like there's so many options you know it's this is like a draft pod but they I think their fate the day of the draft can change as much as anyone um and a lot of different directions or they could just stand pat and it sounds like um some in the organization want to 
continue to try to win now as they, you know, as Cooper very tastefully reminded us, um, the Rockets own a decent chunk of the Nets future, but they still have some picks coming in too. Um, I don't know. There, there's a lot of different, different routes they could go here. I, I have my opinion about which, which way I think I'd like to see them go. Even with Mikhail Bridges, like breakout season, I think if you get some of the offers that, were talked about out there for him. Like, I, I don't think, like, I, I love Mikhail. He's a great guy, like a great fit in the organization. Like him, Cam Johnson just came and like immediately beloved by everyone, it seems like, um, on addition to the the on-court performance. And also if you if you want to rebuild, I think those are like the guys you got from Phoenix um, and Dorian Finney-Smith are all like good guys to rebuild around, right? Um, but it, it really depends on, on what offers happen behind the scenes. But the Nets have so many players that would be potentially appealing to um, other playoff teams that I, I struggle to imagine that they won't see some kind of um, draft capital come back. Yeah, I want to talk through this roster really fast because the the accumulation of I would what I would call first round pick adjacent value guys I think is fascinating because as we've seen consistently. The NBA, like especially playoff teams, are willing to give up first-round picks for rotational and especially starting caliber three and D forwards. I know we hate that term. There's there's obviously more nuanced how every one of these players plays defense, what they actually do offensively. But in its basic sense, there is a sense of if this person can hit open threes and play defense at a certain level, whatever that type of defense might be, they're worth a first-round pick or at least close to a first-round pick. So you talk about the guys here. Joe Harris, maybe the defense isn't there. He's making a lot of money. But Dorian Finney-Smith, I think he's absolutely a first-round pick caliber player. Royce O'Neal, if he has another good shooting season, could maybe be worth a first-round pick. He, the Nets paid a first-round pick for him. Um, you know, And then obviously you have McCall Bridges, who I believe the report today was that they would turn down a deal from the Trailblazers, including the third pick at Anthony Simons, which – Seems crazy to me that you would not trade McCall for very likely Scoot Henderson or, you know, Ahmed Thompson or Brandon Miller or whoever you have at three for, it's just, I, I find that fascinating. So Matt, what do you, like, like, do you think we're going to see some major trades coming into the year? Because it does feel like if this team wanted to compete, they probably could, they would be a good defensive squad. I think Nick Claxton is maybe like, like he's probably a top 10 big defender in the league at this point i would say and and his his funk is is always fun to watch what do you think they're looking to do this next year and then would you be you know fast and loose trading these guys if you were in charge i mean i i would certainly be looking to if not stating that publicly right like uh, i mean i i think what's kind of cool about their negotiating position just as far as like mikhail and nick blackston and like if they really want to fully rebuild i mean those guys are still like pretty young and like even if you draft like some high upside guys in the 20s or whatever and like you can develop them together and like maybe um like i, I mean you can still like compete that second timeline right um it's not like mikhail is like in the middle of this like at, at like coming out of his peak and you're just trying to shed him to whoever's going to take him. Um, so I think they could like wait through the season. I mean, I don't think their trade value is going to go down either. Right. Like teams only get, will get more desperate. Um, I, I think for that, re- for that reason, I, I think because the Nets have so much negotiating leverage and 
like some team will think, you know, the conference is wide open. The Blazers are a really good option. Um, I kind of think I actually I did this like mock draft league um, on Twitter with some some folks and I actually ended up trading. I was representing the Nets and I actually ended up trading him to Sacramento, which I was unexpected like, uh, would not have predicted. Um, they sent back like Keegan Murray and like two, three unprotected picks, I think. Um, I think, yeah. And like there, there's a lot of options, I think, where if another team is like dissatisfied with their young recent like I actually ended up shedding all of our assets. I, I went full rebuild on this thing. I um, ended up acquiring Jalen Duran and AJ Griffin, getting rid of Nick Claxton and Dorian Finney-Smith and all of like just full like bare cupboard. I got a first round back for Royce O'Neal. Um, so I, I think there's a lot like if, if Sean Marks has his eye on any young player at all, I think they have kind of unusual leverage that I don't think they'll have next year. Right. Or uh, unless they really play this, this thing well throughout the season, but I think there's too many options for them to just like totally sit back on, on draft night. I love how you mentioned like specifically trading for young players as well as picks, because as Coop mentioned, they don't have their first round pick. So it feels like, like just outright tanking is probably not going to provide a ton of dividends. I'm not completely sure on like what the protections look like. Um, I, I probably should have done that, that research, but I, I didn't, um, but protections in basketball are weird anyways, an outright. And even still that's risky, right? If it's top four protected, we saw what happened to the Pistons this year. Like it's, it's pretty common for a team that's, you know, even if you lose the most games, you're not guaranteed a top four pick by any means. And I, I I'm interested to see like, so you mentioned, I, I love, so you mentioned Adrian Griffin jr, which that is a team that makes a lot of sense as, you know, would you trade an Adrian Griffin Jr. as part of a package for a McCall? Or even would you trade him straight up for a Royce O'Neal if you're the Hawks looking for a 3 and D wing? You mentioned Jalen Duran. They're a team that I could see, like, even though I love Duran, I think Duran is, like, uh, is really, really good and really underrated. That team has, like, a million bigs, and they seem like they want to take a step and compete. Matt, are there any other names of, like, like trade targets? Oh, I should also throw out. Anthony Simons is, you know, if they do end up trading for that third pick as a guy, are there any other players, not just talking about like trade up, are there any other players that you think would be um, interesting targets for, for the Nets in trade? Yeah. I mean, in, in this same league, I, I was like offered a shade and sharp and like, it's, yeah, shade and sharp package um, for Miguel, which like, I, I mean, I, I could, I could see it paying, like playing out. Right. I wasn't the biggest like shade. I think I had him like 12, um last year but he he seemed to you know perform pretty well this year i would be fine like taking a flyer on them if you know um some if your plan a doesn't work out your plan a um draft target i feel like there's just like so many different um options and and like the more wide open people view the conferences are that just means like more teams are potentially looking to buy right um i i have no idea where it end up landing i think it could be like a really surprising spot just because of that because like how malleable these players too. Like we've seen Macau Bridges work both like on the Suns as in like more ancillary third option. And he, you know, has some juice maybe to go second or sometimes first option. Right. Um, and I, you know, like who, I, I don't know. <laughs> what do you guys think? What do you, who would you prioritize as far as like your trade targets? Yeah. It really depends what direction you go, which determines, you know, what, what sort of targets you're going after. Um, I'm with you. I think if you're getting 
I, I wouldn't go out shopping Mikel necessarily, but if you're getting the kind of offers rumored where it's like three or four unprotected first, like in some sort of trade for Mikel, I think that as much as Mikel is a good player, a really great player, I think that's, you know, a really difficult to pass up package. Um, I absolutely love Claxton. Uh, same thing. If there's an offer that blew me away, I would move him. I'm not like married to anybody on this team as you have to keep them. Um, but I think Claxton is, is one of the better guys to keep around, especially he's still 24. He's still pretty young. Um, and I think is one of the, you know, better defensive bigs in the league. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm with you though. I think rebuild is the way to go. And my first call, if that were the case, would be Houston and, and seeing, you know, can I acquire my own picks back by maybe moving one of or both of Mikel and, and Cam Johnson and seeing what you can do there. Um, so re- rebuild wise, I think that's the first call I make is what does it take for me to get my own picks back? Yeah, especially while you still have Simmons on the books. Like I, we're not going to talk. I, I, we're not going to go fully in depth on that situation. But basically, forty million over the last two years. Uh, how good of a team can you build with forty million in cap just come just gone, basically, or like in a guy who's probably not going to play very much at best. Uh, so see what you can get for Mikhail. I think the market is hot. I think the uh, the star market just seems like it's going to cool down. You know. Uh, you know, we're seeing guys like DeJounte and uh, Rudy Gobert getting five firsts. I don't think that that is going to be the future of NBA star trades because teams just aren't going to do it because it's stupid, <laughs> right? <laughs> like most of these trades don't reason, work yeah. out. Yeah, right. And if you can get a ton of picks for Mikhail now, like, yeah, I think by next year, no matter what, unless Mikhail takes like another leap or continues shooting like 50% from three, you're not going to be able to get three firsts and a good young talent and maybe like a top four or five pick in this draft. Uh, and, and so I, I think like a team like Toronto is kind of going to, you know, they're shooting themselves in the foot by not trading OG while you could get two or three firsts. And I think that, you know, if you're the Nets, unless you really buy that upside with Mikhail, flip him, see what you can get. Uh, I really like Claxton. If you want to talk to Houston and send him over for one of your picks back one or two, uh, you know, we're not going to complain. I'd, you know, if you, if you wanted to send us Mikhail too, you could even have Shengun. you know, we can, we can, we can, we can do some talking there, but I like just two years, see what you can do. If you want to get your own picks back and like organically tank or whatever, then go for it. But uh, just trying to amass young talent, Try and turn McHale into somebody you can build around. Try and turn, you know, Nick Claxton into somebody you can build around before he's going to be making 25, 30 mil because he's just good, you know, and and like a really kick-ass big man defender. Uh, Just see what you can do before then. And once that Ben Simmons salary comes off the books, then you start trying to lean more into flipping the switch, turning this into more of a winner. So I have two. I have two other things I want to bring up, and I will shout. I, I did love your your uh, your mention of a trade to the Kings for Keegan Murray. I think that's very realistic. I think the Kings desperately need someone like a McCall Bridges on the wing. I'll say a team that I think could be sneaky in the sweepstakes here would be OKC. And when you're talking about like trying to get a a a real like build around piece for McCall, it's going to be hard because most teams that are ready to win 
don't just have like young creators lying in wait, right? That's not really a, a thing we're seeing, especially with the lack of, you know, point guard depth across the league, whatever you want to say. If you could grab like a Josh Giddy, and, and, and some people are lower on Giddy. I, I absolutely understand that. But I think Giddy's at least a bet. I think he's someone who you could start to have be the center of a rebuild. They also have, I think, about a billion picks left that they that they can't make. Um, so that, that's that's a place I would lead. And then, I, like you said, I, I, I do really like that, that idea of, of a Kings trade. But just because I think the Kings are ready to take that next step. They have, I believe, all their own picks. They have someone like a Keegan Murray, who I don't know if I would call Keegan Murray like a star bet by any means, but... He's a guy who can be there, um, who who is going to contribute to winning. The way I viewed it is like, if I'm going to go all in on rebuilding, he's like the perfect kind of guy I want around my like future star, like advantage creator bets, just because like he already like showed he can perform at a high level. And like, he's someone you can trust to fit in, like fit in a lot of different roles. And I also so think, I think they can yeah. like, yeah, go ahead. Well, also, I think he will be better defensively to not being asked to play in the role he was like, he was kind of like, the fire extinguisher for the Kings a lot of times. And well, he's a good like secondary rim protector. He's not like Jaden McDaniels. I kind of prefer him more as like nail help type guy can lock down your stronger wings, like more versatile type than like a pure, like Taylor Hendricks, Jaden McDaniels type low man help side rim protector. Let's talk about trade up targets in the draft. And, and the obvious place to start is with that trio of Scoot, Amon, Brandon Miller at the three how real is a trade to to the to the Blazers? I'm not completely sure. I'm honestly guessing what was said today might just be a little bit of smoke to try and boost that McCall Bridges trade value. I think that's how that stuff usually goes. Matt, assuming like who would be your preference there? Like whether that be one of the guys falls or out of those three, if they could make that trade up to three, who would you prefer? Yeah, I mean, if there's any way at all that they can get Scoot Henderson. I I would be really surprised if Sean Marks didn't do that. Um, I I mean, if he like if, if I don't know if the intel's like even real that he'll fall to three and and like if that's even possible or not. But like honestly, I would be willing to go on and on like Amin Thompson too, right? I I view them both in that like I mean Scoot as like a very safe um you know primary bet, but like. I'm in as if you have a slow rebuild and like going to take your time and really um, build all the like ancillary pieces one by one, kind of like they did um, last time they traded away all their picks. Like if you can get in, I'm in and just kind of let him figure it out and like let him adjust to the, to the higher competition level. I mean, I'm also like really high on Azar Thompson too, his, his twin. I don't, I really don't think there's like that big of a gap between them. I would be willing to kind of, um, go in on on him also so like any three of those guys if I think if if there's a, a route um and I I can't I would imagine there would be for at least like a man right or at least your second pick of those um so yeah I, I would be surprised if I, I I I don't know maybe it's the the new Nets fan in me but I'd be surprised if one of those like two guys doesn't end up on on the team yeah, no, I think that's I, I think that's a great point. And it's not just the Blazers, right? As we look at like like teams in that range, again, we mentioned the Pistons and, and the Nets also have 21 and 22, and those are legit value. You know, it's like a team, if it is like the Pistons, they don't have to say, oh, we're completely punting on picking in this draft, right? You could maybe swing 21 and 22 for 12 or 13 or 14 even with, with the Pelicans and then trade that as well, or, or however you want to put that. Like it could be, it could be uh, the Pistons at five. I think it could be the Wizards at eight. 
Um, I think there's options to get guys. So, so Matt, to kind of take this however, you know, whatever range you want, who are some other trade-up options for you that you like? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess like again, like if depending on how Lazar is valued, I it seems like he's mocked kind of all over the place. Um, but I I just I don't know. I was watching some more OT behind this and before this, and like I, I don't know. I, I think you got you guys are a little uh, lower on him, right? Like compared to some men. A little bit, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I Coop especially still really likes Asor. Um, and I think like he's a he's a interesting star bet. I, I'm slower on the handle. I think the handle, like the difference in handle between Amen and Asor makes me lean Amen more as a primary bet. And then when you're talking about like Asor as a secondary bet, like I think the the shooting makes it work, like harder to buy. But I do think like if you trade up to, to five or six and, and you dropped Asor, I'd I'd be hard pressed to say that's like bad process because that's a super big upside swing i think and if you're on a team like the nets where you're just like if we're going to trade and we're going to rebuild we're just going to our first pick we're just going to try and hit out of the park i'd be all in on that i think that'd be a great move what i kind of like about like how they're set up too is you can trade mccall and keep dfs and clax you can trade claxton and dfs and like still move up to a target to you know maybe teams right using those picks um so there's like so many different like conditional environments that you can like throw these guys into. So I feel like you should just like swing as much as you can with that first asset that you get. Right. Um, like you can ha- still have Royce O'Neal and like Patty Mills coming off the bench, which is like more than a lot of like, or like Seth Curry, you know, and like Joe Harris, right. They're not like your, your big stars, but they're nice, like veteran pieces. You know, it, it can be tough to throw all the young guys at once. Right. So you can kind of scale your rebuild as much as you want and, for that reason, I would just like swing on on my biggest swings, and I think that's like beyond Scoot, Amen, Asar. Um, I those are those are the three I would just like I would go really hard at for if you're gonna go in the top ten. Yeah, I mean, if if you can't get one of those guys, like you know, by moving um one of your bigger pieces, uh, I think there's guys still like within the lottery area or back end lottery area that I'd be willing to move up with. Like I'm really in on Nick Smith jr. I think if you could uh, move someone like a Dorian Finney Smith to get pick 20 or something and he's there, I'd be really in on that. Um, Spencer Dinwiddie too. Like if you can move Dinwiddie and somehow get, you know, like a back end type lotto pick or a top 20 pick um, and, and somehow could get, somebody like um a whitehead Derek whitehead i'd be really in on that um just taking guys that still have somewhat like star equity um even if they're not you know very tip of the top of the draft um sensabaz is another guy like those guys if you can move your sort of mid-tier assets to get somebody um like those guys in the you know maybe 15 to 20 type range um i think that would make a lot of sense i would love to see them move uh, move up for Bryce, Bryce Sensabaugh. Um, just somebody who can score at all three levels, like actually, and you give him reps in a real spaced floor. You know, you try and teach him to run a pick and roll with somebody like Clax. I don't think you need to spend those uh, those top tier premium assets on him, but you try to just give him reps as a primary and see if he can leverage the shooting and the grift and the you know the craft there to develop 
as more of an on-ball guy and less of just a, a pure scorer. Um, he's somebody I have really high, and I, I would just love to see him, especially on, like you were saying, Matt, on a team full of so many guys who are, like, actually good, you know, and, and can shoot the ball and move the ball and space the ball and, and cut and make the right play. Um, I think he'd be a really good bet there. And the last guy I would say is Leonard Miller. You know, there's not many teams where, um, you know, there's like basically nobody who's a like their creator. And I, I think Leonard Miller is like, a, he could do that. You know, if you really want to spend time and develop him into that, I think he's got the vision. He just kind of played more as a big man this year. Um, he's got the burst. He's got the craft. Um, you let him work on his shot. You let him work on his playmaking. You see if he can really be a creator bet for you over you know the next few years. And he's another guy who you don't have to spend like a super premium asset to get. What I'll say with those last two guys you mentioned is I think they could possibly be in play at 21 and 22. Um, so I, I think those would fall in my like ideal fit range there. And if you did have to trade up for him, I, I don't think you would have to trade up like into the top 14. I think both those guys are probably slightly outside of the lottery. They could sneak in, but just looking at how kind of mock drafts look right now, I don't really have any other names to throw into like, like trade up camp other than, you know, maybe if you could get a Cam Whitmore, I'm not like the highest on Whitmore, but I think that'd be a fine bet. Ant Black, I think is actually the guy for me who I'd be really interested in here. Village varies on how much of a creator he is, but I do think that he is a bet at that. He's someone who can handle the ball, who is really good passer, good athlete. He just has some like, I, I think like, like, avert like risk aversion he has some contact aversion he has uh like like um a, a, a lack of aggressiveness at times you put him on a squad where it's like you're the only guy you're gonna have the ball you're the only guy who we want to you know make this volume of reads maybe that helps get it out and if it doesn't then you kind of know um matt i'll throw this back to you let's talk about this the 21st and 22nd pick we can just talk about them in a tandem because obviously they're right next to each other Who's like, who are like your ideal picks here? Like guys who you hope would like fall to 21 and 22. You have higher on your board or maybe mocked a little higher, but you could see falling to this range. Right. Yeah. That's kind of why for, for the last question, I didn't have as many like trade up targets in the teams because I, I really would just prefer to, I think this draft is really deep on potential starter bets, which means like 20 through 25. I like you guys just mentioned a lot of people and one or two will fall to like the 21st, 22nd pick. Um, so I kind of just like let seeing, like setting, seeing what kind of talent um, falls there. If you, especially if you decide to um, hold on to Mikhail, cause I think a lot of those guys would really fit well. Um, someone you haven't mentioned is Brandon Pajemski would like fit really well too. I think just like, especially if you're trying to flex the timeline. Right. And like, I, I think he can, like they really got crushed on the on the glass against um, Philly in particular. He's like incredible guard rebounder. He'll I, I really trust him to at least pick up a few a game, um, and just kind of contribute in a lot of different like however he can on the floor. Just a real like hustle guy who also has unbelievable touch. Right, that's perfect player you can like plug in uh, day one while still keeping that upside. You mentioned Leonard Miller. If he was were to fall, that would be incredible. I think because again he's someone who kind of showed over this time the G league that he can play in a real basketball team right now. And like, he can help a team win. And like, there's still some things to iron out, but I'd be, you know, like, I, I think he can be 
only slightly negative or like modestly negative year one, which like for a rookie of his age is, is pretty rare. But, you know, with the size, I think his like passing instincts are pretty good. He got like a lot better at driving to the rim and like, kind of drawing contact as the season went on. Um, I think like Keontae George would be fun too for that like flex timeline thing of like you can plug and play like a combo guard is, is such an easy type just to like if you need like to, to space the floor. Uh, he won't get killed defensively, I don't think. Um, can make a lot of like quick reads, doesn't need to like dominate the ball. Um, like I'm I'm higher on Gigi Jackson, I think, relative to people too, but I, I would love to give him like a couple years to figure out how to play off ball and just like keep Dorian Finney Smith and Nick Claxton and like give him a little bit of a cushion and like see what happens with the shot making, right? Like I, I think they should just take they should sort by whoever they think like the highest 90th percentile outcome guy is basically right well and there's a lot of guys like that who i think still could provide value like pretty quickly in this draft i love how you said there's a lot of like legit bets at starter draft uh, at starter potential guys like not necessarily star bets i wouldn't say this draft is deep in in like stars i think once you get past the top three for me there's only a couple guys who i see really hitting like a super high outcome but I, I'm with you where it's like, even like when you're talking about lottery guys, like Grady Dick, Dariq Whitehead, Saad Wallace, those are guys who, if they hit, they might not be stars in, in like the traditional like bucket getter elite playmaker sense, but they are stars in the idea that they're the type of player who I think can, can start and finish playoff games. And this draft is full of potential guys who could do that. Coops, who, who stands out to you as like an interesting, interesting potential fallers in this range? Well, I mean, fallers, I mean, we talk about like the same two ever, like Nick Smith, what, what the hell is his range, right? Like, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he goes at like eight, I wouldn't be surprised if he fell to the twenties here. Um, it's just a weird year, like same, like with the reek, but, uh, somebody who I kind of have in this range, uh, I, I mean, if you don't buy clacks, you know, or you want to trade him and get that extra value there. I think you could get a lot of what you get from him from Dayron Holmes. Um, I think just, you know, a solid kick-ass big man can really anchor a defense. Uh, if you want to try and compete, but also like stay young because you don't want to trade for those picks from the Rockets, right? You could, you know, trade clacks for some extra draft value, pick up Dayron Holmes here. Um, you know, if you want to, Try and get somebody who's like a, a more of an upside, you know, guy in the in that same vein. You know, you could get Maxwell Lewis. I think this is kind of around his range. You know, he could have he's an upside bet as well as like just a guy who's six seven and can probably shoot and attack closeouts really well. Um, and if you have the time to develop him, I think he'd be a really, you know, nice guy to bring in here, especially because they have two picks right there you're okay missing on a guy like that uh, if you, you know, if you're going to use the other one to bring in somebody who's just more solid. Yeah. I don't really have anyone to add to this list as far as like potential guys that could fall. I think most of mine would fall somewhere in between the 22nd and 51st pick and it, it becomes either it's a reach at 22 or a huge fall at 51. Um, but yeah, I don't really have any like, you know, names to add to this portion of the list. Yeah, and I think we named enough guys that it's that it's hard to really say there's any just like solid picks. Like a lot of those guys kind of fall in that same range. At least I, it, 
at least two of the guys we're going to mention we mentioned are probably going to be there at 21 or 22 you know if i want to throw out a couple more interesting names i think a Derek lively might be here and i've started to kind of come around on him as like a a guy who I, i'd be willing to bet on in this you know upper 20s range just because i think he he projects as someone who can start if he if he kind of clicks he's a good drop big man the offense is a complete mess right now but I think maybe he'll figure that out. And I, I think the defense is good enough to maybe uh, justify some things. Um, and then also sh- uh, shout out City Sissoko as another guy who I think is kind of funky and interesting here. Um, just take bets on guys like that. Like, do I think Sissoko is like a creator? No, but if he shoots, like he's going to be valuable. And I, I think he can maybe shoot. <laughs> so I, I, that's kind of where I'm at. Matt, are there any guys you would consider to be reaches should they go here? Or is this draft so flat that, there's no one really in this range you'd be upset should they pick. I I, I just again I I think this area is really I think it's really hard to mess up. Um, I mean there there are some names, but like I I was like nodding my head through every single person that you mentioned. Like Nick Smith, I think is someone who would be a really good like I think it'd be a reach for some. Actually, no, and in the twenty one twenty fine, like I'd be fine. Um, betting on him as as like a creator and let him figure things out too right um suzoko too would be an awesome fit lively i i have my preferences but i think it like collectively the floor is pretty high as far as like how bad of a pick you can be in the tw- like early 20s i i really like feel strongly about that that group in this in this class no I, i'm with you and, and like i can come up with some names right like i, I would not be a fan of a jalen hood Shafino here i'm just I'm just lower on on JHS. I I know you are as well, Matt, from from your stuff that I've read. And and he he wouldn't be like again. It's not awful because there's a chance he's like a fine player. I just I think you'd be passing up on a lot better guys. Um, you know, I I wouldn't love like a Chris Murray here just because he feels just like like he could maybe start, but he does feel just maybe slightly uncreative here. And and I'm just not all the way in on that. I like this guy, but I know. Coop and Stone would think of Bobby Clintman as a as a reach, even though I'm kind of in on his game. But other than that, I think that's I think that's really all I got for for potential reaches. Stone Coop, is there anyone else who kind of stands out to you? Uh, not re- I mean, I for me, uh, I think Bilal Kulabali is interesting as a swing for the fences pick. But I also, just in terms of value of where he'd be on my board, I feel like this would be somewhat of a reach for me. But it kind of makes sense with the Nets. So I go back and forth in terms of how I would feel if I were a Nets fan about that pick. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, there, there's I, not I really find, a- not to interrupt you, but I do find that idea interesting. And this is something I feel like I've got. I used to be, when I first started this, I was very rigid. Like, it's it's simply a bad pick if you draft outside of my tiers. Like, my tiers exist and they are hard and fast. And if you pick someone in a lower tier above this guy in a higher tier, you're automatically, it's like a bad pick. And I feel like I've softened in my old age a little bit. I just, I, I, I'm I, much more amenable to making a pick of a guy in a lower tier if I just feel like the process is good and you have a plan for him. I'm probably going to be lower on Bilal Kulabali than some too, but if the Nets take him and they're like, listen, we think there's some real funk here with him as like a, you know, Matisse Thibault-esque like nail defender is just going to make a ton of plays and, and be wild and we're going to give him enough usage as like a spot-up shooter close-out attacker DHO operator 
I'd be like, okay, I think that's I think that's worthwhile. That's like I'm I'm not mad at that 22. Uh even like, you know, I'm lower on GG. Matt likes GG and, and and he's made me see like some positives with him. Like I wouldn't love that pick from like a pure like numbers value perspective on my board, but like if they take him at 22, I'd be like, you know what? Like I, I, there's a world where he's a very legit spot up shooter at 6'9, 6'10 with length on defense and, and definitely solid lateral quickness who can attack a closeout and get a mid-range bucket. Like there's value in that. I don't think Gigi's like a star, but I, I, I'm just, as I've kind of done this more and more, and especially I think doing the 30 for 30 series and talking to different people literally every day has helped me see this too. Like there's value in the process that we don't get to have our hands on as evaluators. We can watch these guys and, and we can think like, we can say like, this is what we think would be best for them. And this is where we would value them in, you know, Coop does it with like the 70th percentile fits and stuff. I think that's, a great process, but I also think there's just value to if a team thinks they have a plan for a guy and they think they can get the most out of him and they just want him on their team. I, I I'm cool reaching reaching a little bit. So that's kind of where that's kind of where I'm at. So sorry sorry for the soapbox. Do you do you have any other names, Matt or Stone or Coop, that you kind of want to bring up at 21 or 22? Or are you guys good to move on to kind of this later part of the draft? Well, just on the, to be back on what you were saying, I, I think, and again, with like the number of the sheer number of like good contracts and like good role players that they could trade. And we have no idea. There's so many different, there's like so many different scenarios where the, the roster could end up day one. I think that really depends on how like, like Jed Howard, I, I'm not like, I think I'm probably around average on, but like if they just trade Macau and like keep the rest of the team that would be like such a great fit for him to develop and or like just trade Claxton and keep the, the rest you can like take a lively there right so it's more about just making sure every all the pieces fit and like the development plan makes sense and it seems like that's something that um Sean Marks um values pretty highly I think Sean Marks is a hell of a GM too I, I think he kind of got a raw deal having to do like it's just hard to have to deal with with Kyrie and KD like like straight up they just they're not easy guys to deal with and I think he does I think he does a good job go ahead Stone just to say real quick like going from where they started with the Nets of like bare cabinets right like having nothing to developing um, a big part of that was obviously probably Kenny Atkinson and the coaching staff but also putting these guys in the right insulated areas where they get the best out of them with the roster construction. Um, so you had the, you know, like the everyone's favorite fun D'Lo type Brooklyn team. Uh, and you're able to move that and build up again to get like, no matter how badly it went, you still went and got like three top 10 players in the league um, and, and built off of that. So I, I think, you know, with how it went, people are going to be short-sighted and say that, you know, it wasn't the Nets have mismanaged things or whatever. But I think just in terms of when you look at where they started and the leaps that they've taken over the past several years, I, I think Sean Marks has proven himself to be one of the better GMs in the league. It's just that the big key for me for them is just avoiding uh, like almost building an identity out of just, Hey, this guy can stretch the floor a little bit, but not really do much else. Right. Like even like a, a, a Ryan repair, who's like a project, but he projects as like, he, he's not like a creator or a scorer in any way. Right. He's going to be like a defensive end, like side project. Um, but I mean, like, I really like jet here. I don't super like jet for a ton of teams in the range he's projected, but 
you know, a guy who can really just shoot the piss out of the ball and make that his entire job. And like, I really like stuff like that, but avoiding like even like a way more boring example, but I can't come up with names right now, but like Mojave King, like in what world is Mojave King going to be more than just a guy who can come in and maybe do stuff while relying on other guys to create stuff for him there. I don't think there is one. So he's, you know, just avoiding guys like that at every pick and, uh, you know, trying to do something to bring in a creator, a score, a position of need, uh, because they have that great infrastructure, so many options, maybe not all perfect options, maybe not all great options, but they have a ton of options nonetheless. Yeah. All right, let's talk about the 51st pick in UDFA. I When we get to this deep in the draft, we just like to go kind of fast and furious because there are no bad picks in UDFA. There's no such thing as a reach in a UDFA. It's just, it's either a good pick or a nothing pick because most of them are nothing picks. So Matt, who are some guys that kind of stand out? Obviously the 51st pick is unlikely to even be a real pick. The Nets have proven more than anyone willing to just take guys in the 50s and then give them no contract. I'm, I'm still upset about Marcus Zagorowski. Um, but who are some guys who you want them to target at the 51st pick or in UDFA to maybe give one of their three two ways to? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm kind of like assuming that they'll take some big swing up like towards the top of the draft. So I kind of like maybe going a little older and more like well-rounded guy. Like I, I really like um Jalen Slauson out of Furman um as kind of like a guy who can get some some time pretty quickly and be kind of like their Jeremiah Robinson Earl or you know just like someone who kind of like set the tempo um for the bench lineups um that he's the first guy to come to mind yeah I, I love Slauson and, and should the Nets get him I think that would be a great fit because that's also a team where he can kind of develop positionally and figure out where he actually fits um a guy I'll shout out here that I've shot out a couple times is Angelo Allegri. Uh, he's had a couple works at workouts. I think he's, I don't know. I, I watched him. I did a thread on him recently and I just, he's just like, like dribble pass, shoot wings, like have a shot. Like is it the defense great? No. Is he some all-star scorer? No, but like he just does a lot on offense as a wing and as someone who I think could maybe stick around as like a, a juice to bench offenses. I think that's, I think that's a guy I'd, I'd target with a two way. I've gotten more confident in, in that opinion. Uh, Coop Stoner, any, do any guys kind of stand out to you as, as specific targets in this range? The two guys that come to mind, I feel like would be probably somewhat reaches at 21 or 22, but then I, I feel like they don't have a great chance of falling to 51, but I'll just say like uh, Terquavion Smith and Ricky council. Like I think, you know, both of them could maybe fall this far. I'm not as high on Ricky Council. Uh, I have him like as an early second, and I'm super high on Terquavion, probably the highest outside of anyone in his family. Um, but I think taking swings on guys, like we said, that can like score. And the other thing is, even if you don't buy either of these guys, I think it's somewhat easy to buy them um, as scores. And that's like an easy way to get value from this pick and use it as like trade bait, right? Like I was not the biggest Cam Thomas fan. Fan still not. I think Matt disagrees with me quite a bit because I know he likes him. Um, yeah, I can't believe I haven't brought him up at once. You know, so far, <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah. but I, so even if I dislike him, I definitely always saw him as like somewhat an easy guy that can put points on the board. Like you know, you're gonna get that from him. And I feel like I feel somewhat similar to to Cravion and Ricky, especially on a team like this, where they they can just get the opportunity to put up big points. 
and you can parlay that into trade bait, right? Like if Ricky Council com- comes in and scores like 10 points in his rookie year because he gets minutes off the bench, I wouldn't be that shocked. And that's something I think you can just use to push towards whatever um, direction you want with your team, whether it's keep them long-term or, or use them in some sort of package. Uh, and I, I feel like both these guys have a really good chance of just being scorers early on. So I would um, – I'd be pretty happy if I were a Nets fan to get either one of those guys. Yeah, I like both of those guys a lot. Um, I would be, I mean, as shocked, especially if Ricky falls that far, but you you have no idea, honestly. Um, you know, if they could find a way to move up like slightly, I think this could be like a Marcus Sasser range once you like around 40-ish, you know. The second round is kind of a shithole and you never know what's going to happen but somebody who I, I think can do some real creation, can do some downhill driving, like elite shooter. Uh, there's a chance they lose Seth Curry this year. I think he's a he's a free agent. I don't really know what his future is, but somebody who can play that role, but also you know can get buckets, can make reads. Um, and another AAC point guard, because I am nothing if not a homer, uh, Kendrick Davis. I, 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 who knows if he's going to get drafted, but he could, I think he'll be here around 51. Uh, can really create against mismatches um, and with all, you know, the, the wings, I think he can make basic reads, basic driving kicks, not like the most advanced creator, but he can really shoot. And, you know, this is a team that, you know, just more spacing, another bet at maybe being able to be a, a backup point guard um, gives you a different look that they don't super have at the guard spot, you know, other than, Oh, I guess Patty Mills, but he could learn under Patty. You know, Patty's also like 40. So I, I don't really think you're basing your draft decisions off of uh, off of Patty Mills. A couple other little names. I, I'll, I'll just go quick here. Mohamed Gay is a guy who I think will probably be around around here. Might have to be like a little trade up, but I, I think he'd be a fun backup bet to Claxton. He does some of the same things. Not the type of rim protector Claxton is or was as a prospect, but can operate some like split actions and stuff, which the Nets ran a lot with, with McCall Bridges. Um uh, Adama in that same vein, Adama Sonogo would be kind of fun here. Um, I know Matt has has tweeted about him recently, and his his uh, coworker at at a uh, at Switch Theory Chip is a big big fan. Which I do want to shout out Coop because we had Chip on a podcast last season, and Coop was going to bring up Adama Sonogo, and Chip was like, "There's no way." And then this year, Chip is the one driving the Sonogo hype train. So I do just uh, shout out Coop for that very early pull a year ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he was playing next to RJ Cole, but that's about, a, that's about what I got there. I mean, there's obviously when you get to UDFA, there's just a ton of names. It's about falling in love in this range. Um, let's talk about kind of worst case, best case scenarios. We kind of wrap this up, Matt, what would be like your worst case off season for the nets this year? Well, honestly, just making no moves. I, I, I think like trying to go win now, I, I don't see how that makes any like long-term difference. I don't see how you like get to championship contendership uh, con- contention unless um, Sean Marks is really a magician to figure that out. Um, so I, 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 it's a good draft, I think for like a potential, or sorry, it's a good, a good potential Brooklyn off season for a draft fan. Cause like, I, I think they could make a lot of moves and I would hate for them to just sit that. But yeah. Yeah, well, let's talk about that best case. We love to end it on just a happy note. What what's like your dream off season? You can get as wild with this as you want. What's what's the happiest off season for the Nets here? 
yeah, I would love a chance to get to watch Scoot Henderson live, like in my, you know, um, backyard over here. Um, but yeah, just any of them, him or MN Thompson, just like get that top level, like advantage creator type. Um, that's, that's like the way, you know, you, you have to get that cornerstone. I think if they don't do it now, it's going to be really hard without their, their pick next year or without, you know, some haymaker trade for Macau um in the in the future but if you know if that's even remotely available i would put in a lot of i would yeah go for it do you have any do you have an ideal like duo at 21 and 22 Ooh, i i probably actually gg jackson and um leonard miller i think would be just like my to take big swings um well i mean especially if they get scoot we know leonard can play off of them um, I think Gigi getting open looks off of Scoot driving would be like pretty awesome. Um, so yeah, those two. Absolutely love it. Matt, we can't thank you enough for taking the time out for announcing yourself as a Nets fan. Tried and true. Uh, this has been a blast. The Nets are, uh, they have these, this has been one of the most fascinating podcasts we've done so far because they're in such a weird spot as a team. They've had such a weird season. Matt, again, I, I think you're one of the best in the space. Let people know where they can find you and all your great work. Yeah, thanks, guys. Right back at you. I love the pod. Um, I'm at DraftPal, and you can find me at theswishtheory.com or at swishtheory on Twitter. But yeah, thanks so much for having me on, guys. Really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Everything Matt does will be linked down below. Cannot recommend Swish Theory enough. They are, uh, like I said, to me, the 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 best the best group doing it. I love I love Matt and Chip and 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 all the guys doing work there. Uh, been friends of the pod for a while, so. Uh, for Coop at Ali underscore Oop underscore Coop for Stone at Report underscore Court. Again, follow Matt, follow Swish Theory. Uh, check out our website if you want in-depth scouting reports on players. And if you want breakdowns of these teams in digestible little chunks instead of 30-minute long podcasts all on the website, uh, we hope we are ceiling. Thank you. We'd once again like to thank the people at GlobalShopSolutions.com. Simplify your manufacturing and schedule a demo today at GlobalShopSolutions.com. Thanks again for sponsoring the podcast. Thanks again for listening. We hope we hit our ceiling. Thank you.